Good morning, and welcome to our live broadcast at First Presbyterian. It is a joy to come into your home today with good news about God who loves you. If you're ever in Uptown Columbus, we invite you to stop by and say hello. We'd love to see you, have you worship with us. We'll make you feel like family. At First Presbyterian, we are family. Learning together, growing together, worshiping together. Those who are able are invited to stand for the first lesson as we hear words from the book of the prophet Isaiah in the 42nd chapter, beginning with the fifth verse. Listen to God's word. For thus says the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread forth the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people upon it, and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I have taken you by the hand and kept you. I have given you as a covenant to the people, a light to the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other nor my praise to graven images. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. We invite all those who are able to stand once more for our second reading, which comes to us from the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 26 verses 24 through 32. Listen to the word of the Lord. While Paul was making his defense, Festus exclaimed, You are out of your mind, Paul. Too much learning is driving you insane. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking the sober truth. Indeed, the king knows about these things, and to him I speak freely, for I am certain that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. But Agrippa said to Paul, are you so quickly persuading me to become a Christian? Paul replied, whether quickly or not, I pray to God that not only you, but also all who are listening to me today might become such as I am, except for these chains. Then the king got up, and with him the governor and Bernice and those who, were, who had been seated with them. As they were leaving, they said to one another, this man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to the emperor. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Well, I don't know about you, but there's a phrase that we hear in our Scripture this morning. It's the title of this sermon that is used frequently. Out of your mind. Has anyone ever told you that you are out of your mind for a variety of reasons, perhaps? When I was young, uh, I had a little brother. I still have a little brother. 
And this is a phrase that we often like to use, right, as little brothers and big brothers do with one another. Uh, we used to enjoy daring one another to do stupid things, right? This is what little boys do. Uh, I can remember one instance of having our bikes in the yard, and we had built this ramp. Uh, you know, it was yet to be determined whether it would work or not, but we bet each other, well, you go first. No, you go first. No, you go first, right? And, and kind of the bet continues to snowball out of control until the next thing I know, uh, we're going off the ramp, but not just going off the ramp, but now we're, you know, like off of the porch onto the sidewalk off of the ramp, right? I mean, it's kind of like those McDonald's commercials, right? Off of the the sky, you know, the backboard into the nothing but net, if you remember those with uh, Michael Jordan and Larry Bird. Well, it got so ridiculous that eventually you just throw up your hands and you'd say, I am not doing that. You must be out of your mind. Or maybe it was at the pool in the summertime and you're having a great time jumping off the diving board and as brothers do, right? Well, I bet you can't do a belly flop that makes your whole belly red, right? Not just part of your belly, the whole belly red, right? And then it's your belly and your arms. Then it's your belly and your arms and your legs, right? And the next thing you know, we're, we're so hurt, we're so much in pain that it's like, I'm not doing it, you must be out of your mind. This has gotten beyond control. We've all been told that we're out of our minds sometimes, right? Uh, from crazy things like making a bet with your brother to just simple everyday life things like, well, we can make that drive of 13 hours without stopping, right? Yeah, we can do that with a child that's two years old. Sure. Are you out of your mind, right? We use this phrase a lot. And in our scripture this morning, uh, King Agrippa tells Paul that he is out of his mind. Why does Agrippa think that Paul is out of his mind. And this is really the phrase, this idea, being out of your mind, that we're going to spend all kind of morning unpacking. You see, Paul is in prison. Paul's in prison because he'd been preaching the Gospel. He'd been telling the story of Jesus. And the Jews were frustrated. They were angry because he kept talking about Jesus. They had told him repeatedly, Paul, stop talking about Jesus. But for whatever reason, Paul just kept talking about Jesus. And it got him in trouble to the point where he was arrested. He was put in prison by the governor named Felix. This happened several chapters previously. Well, Felix did this because he uh, was trying to gain some rapport with the Jews because if you were a good governor, that meant you kept them in check. If they were happy, the area was happy, I mean, the, the nation was happy, and Rome was happy, and life was good. So Felix put Paul in jail to just kind of get him out of the way. But Felix didn't really have a charge against Paul because just riling trouble up by talking about Jesus didn't really break any Roman crime. So Felix couldn't try him, just put him in jail and let him stay there for two years. Paul was in prison for two years on a technicality. There's a lot of things that happen in two years. I was thinking about this, right? You can get a master's degree in two years. In fact, lots of master's programs are two years. I wish the MDiv was two years, right? It's three. 
Two years is half of high school. Your child can learn to, to walk and crawl and maybe even say some words in two years. A lot can happen in two years. Paul found himself sitting in prison because he'd simply told the story of Jesus. Well, Felix goes away. There's a change in leadership. And the new governor is this man named Festus. And Festus is kind of cleaning house. He's figuring out what needs to happen. And he founds out that there's this guy named Paul that's been in prison for two years. He still hasn't had a trial. And so he brings him before him and he says, Paul, what happened? Why are you in prison? And why have you been there for two years? So Paul tells him the story. Well, let me tell you about a man I, named, I met, a man named Jesus. And Festus is intrigued by this story that Paul tells. And anytime there's a change in leadership by the governor, it was very kind of customary for the king to come down to say hello, to, to shake hands and wave at people. I'm here. I see you, right? So Agrippa makes his way to welcome Festus as the new governor. And Agrippa brings his sister named Bernice with him. And in conversation, I'm sure it went something like this. Well, Festus, how are things? Well, Agrippa, they're well. But there's this man named Paul who's been in prison for two years, and I don't really understand why. So he tells Agrippa what happened. And Agrippa is fascinated that this man named Paul would be left in prison for two years simply because he riled the Jews up that he wants to hear Paul's story. And this sets the scene for chapter 26 of Acts. In many ways, the climax of the entire book. Luke has been working us toward this moment. This is the living out of the promise that was made in chapter 1 where Jesus says, you will be my witnesses unto Judea, Samaria, and the very ends of the earth. This is the moment we've been waiting for. Paul is about to be on trial before the most powerful man in the land, except for Caesar. So let's imagine the scene together. In walks Agrippa the king and his sister Bernice with all of the pomp and circumstance that accompanies royalty. Anyone who is anyone is in the room. In fact, one biblical scholar writes that in terms of social standing and the influence of the audience, nothing in all of Acts or the rest of the New Testament compares to this gathering of people. These are the most powerful, the most influential people in the land. And they've gathered to do one thing, to hear Paul give a defense. So what does Paul say? What story does Paul tell? Well, Paul does what Paul always does. He talks about Jesus. So imagine with me, if you will, right? Uh, let's kind of bring this into our own context. The president comes to, down, comes to town because he's heard of 
of you, right? You've been kind of stirring up trouble in Columbus because you just keep talking about this person named Jesus. So you've been in prison. The president is kind of, you know, interested. So he says, well, bring him before me. I'll listen. But of course, you've got to invite everyone else to the table. So the, the next thing you know, you're, you're going into a courtroom and it's the president and it's judges and lawyers, the police chief, several doctors, some local business owners, maybe uh, some representatives of Aflac or TSIS, the, even their CEOs perhaps. And, and the senators and the representatives have left Washington. They've left Atlanta. They've come to Columbus, believe it or not. They've come all the way back to listen to your defense of why you keep talking about Jesus. Everyone's seated. The judge says, well, give your defense. Now, you've been in prison for two years, so you've probably lost some weight. You don't look real good. Your clothes are tattered because you've been wearing the same ones. You haven't been allowed to take a shower. You haven't shaved. You smell bad. And here you are in front of all of the most powerful people in the land. What does Paul do? What do you do? Do you say, please just let me go? It was just a technicality. I was just talking about Jesus. They got annoyed. I should have been quiet. Can you just let me go now? No. You stand up. And you start telling the story of when Jesus found you. When you experienced the life-changing, life-altering, amazing grace of Jesus Christ. Maybe you'd gone over the story in your head a thousand times, but as you begin speaking, the only thing that comes out is the story of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done in your life. Just like Paul, you just talk some more about Jesus. In fact, if you go to the middle of chapter 26, you can read what Paul says. He describes his conversion experience for like the fifth time in the book. We've heard it over and over now. We know Paul was once a Christian hater. In fact, he killed Christians. But then Jesus found him on the road to Damascus, and now he's an apostle. Is this the story that you would tell? You find yourself surrounded in a courtroom by the most influential and powerful people. Do you tell the story of Jesus? If I'm honest, I, I don't know. I was reading this story this morning and go, I don't know that I have the courage. That if I was in that situation, I think I might just say, yeah, I'll be quiet now. I'll, I'll play nice. But Paul doesn't. Paul tells the story. And King Agrippa has only one response. Paul, are you out of your mind? Do you see who's in the room? Don't you know where you are? In fact, he tries to give him an excuse, right? Paul, you're learning. You're so smart, Paul, that you've just you've outthought yourself. And Paul says... No, actually, King Agrippa, I'm telling you the sober 
truth, the only truth that matters, Jesus Christ. Paul tells this story, the story of Jesus, because he'd experienced Christ. Christ had found him on the road, and everything changed. I don't know about you, but uh, at different times in my life, I've been told to try a variety of foods that I was kind of like wary of. Has this ever happened to anyone, right? So I remember being in college, and we went out to an Asian restaurant with some friends. They said, Nathan, you've got to try this thing called sushi. Well, I'm from the Midwest. Uh, We don't have any seafood in the Midwest because the ocean is very far away. So you don't trust it even if they do serve it. And I remember being like, well, well, what is sushi? Well, it's, it's raw fish. Okay, I, raw, no, I don't know about that. Uh, no thanks, I'll take your word for it. No, no, Nathan, just trust me, you gotta try it. It's great. All right, so I tried it. And they were right, it was wonderful, I really liked it. In fact, sushi, I enjoy sushi today. But I, in my head, it didn't make any sense, right? Raw fish and rice, that just doesn't make sense. Then I tried it. It's great. Why? Because my experience had changed my reality. I had experienced something new and I was no longer the same. This is true, right? I mean, this happens. You're told about something and you can only comprehend it so far. But once you experience it, it becomes reality. Reverend Hasty can tell you how amazing going to Kenya is. He has a heart for Kenya for the people of Kenya because he spent time there. It matters to him. But it's just a story until you experience Kenya for yourself. I have some friends uh, at the church I served in Ohio, and they, they are passionate about this little village in Mexico called Peace Day. And they, they take, there's a group of folks who every year They go to Peace Day to be with the Presbyterian brothers and sisters there. Year after year after year, they take vacation every year, like one week of vacation to go and love on these people. Why? Because they experienced God's love there and it radically changed the way they saw the world. And so now they go. You see, our experience changes reality. And Christ had experienced, Paul had experienced Christ. And he no longer saw the world the same way. And so he tells the story. He tells the story of what God had done, how he met Christ. And he's he's left with this response. Paul, are you out of your mind? Because for Agrippa and for Festus, this story is just another story. Because they hadn't experienced Christ in their own life. Paul will later on in 1 Corinthians say that the gospel is foolishness. The wisdom of God is foolishness to the world. The world is going to look on our story of God's grace and just not get it. But you see, when we've experienced Christ's love in a way that transforms us, We don't care if people say, you're out of your mind. Because friends, the gospel is not logical. The gospel is not easy. 
It's not nice, and it's definitely not convenient. Paul had been in prison for two years. That's what Paul got for being a Christian. And he reminds us this morning that God is the one who comes after us time and time and time again. In fact, when Agrippa says, Paul, are you trying to make me a Christian? Paul says, no, I'm just praying. Maybe not now, but at some point you would come to be a Christian like I am. Paul knows that it's God's work. God's the one who's going after Agrippa. It's just Paul's job to tell the story. And when God has captured our heart, when we've experienced that love, we have to tell the story. On the cover of the bulletin this morning, you'll see a quote from Augustine. Augustine, one of the fathers of our faith, he had squandered much of his life chasing after the things of the world. And then one day, he was reading in the garden and he heard this voice say, Augustine, pick up and read. Pick up and read. So Augustine picked up and read the Bible. And he met and experienced Christ in a way he had never done before. And he writes these words that are on your bulletin. You called and cried out loud and shattered my deafness. You were radiant and resplendent. You put to flight my blindness. You were fragrant, and I drew in my breath and now pant after you. I tasted you, and I feel but hunger and thirst for you. You touched me, and I am set on fire to attain the peace which is yours. Augustine had experienced Christ, and it changed the way he saw reality. We find ourselves this morning in the company of these men, Paul and Augustine and many other Christians who have experienced Christ's call on our lives. So are you out of your mind this morning? Have you met Christ? Have you experienced Him? Has it changed your reality? And are you willing to tell the story? Because, friends, there are opportunities day in and day out that we find ourselves in the courtrooms of our life, if you will. Now, we might not be on trial before the most influential and the most powerful people, but we do find ourselves in conversations with friends and coworkers, with family members, with people in the checkout line. Are we willing to share the story of how God is at work in our life? Are we willing to be out of our mind? Because the gospel takes us to places where the only response the world is going to give is, are you out of your mind? When the diagnosis comes back, that there's no hope, and yet we look at death in the face with hope because we know, we know that there is life. Are you out of your mind? When we befriend someone who has no friend, why are you friends with them? Don't you know who they are? Are you out of your mind? Would we be people who tell the story?
In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.